Hey everybody, welcome to episode 208 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And as I mentioned last week, I'll be taking a little bit of a break through the end of the year. So I'm doing these intros now in batch to tee them up and schedule them to post through the rest of the year. We've got eight more of these conversations coming with inspirational women. Again, none of these famous women, all just quote unquote regular women who are members of our community or connected to our community in some way who are incredibly inspiring in their own right. And as I often say to runners in our community, you don't need to look much further than that runner next to you or that runner in your community to find inspiration because everybody is bringing something special to their individual journey. And so I think this series of conversations with Ruth and Jen is representative of that. With this next conversation, we've got my episode 186 guest, Dion Schaffner, joining. In that episode, I talked with Dion about race. And in this conversation with Jen and Ruth, you're going to hear a little bit more about Dion's story, which is really, really inspirational, as you've already heard. And I'm excited to share it with you. So with that as an intro, I'll turn it over to Jen and Ruth. So this week, uh, we are thrilled to introduce you to a woman that, that both Ruth and I met at Rogue in Austin, uh, I'm going to say 10 plus years ago, maybe not age ourselves quite that much. Um, she is an accomplished Ironman triathlete. And if you don't know what an Ironman is, it's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. 26.2 mile run and she's done multiple Ironmans so that that in itself is an accomplishment she's also a former professional dancer cheerleader for the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves she is a Stanford grad she's a smart smart woman uh, mom of two amazing talented young men one who is finishing up his freshman year at college and one uh, in high school but that's not all there's so much more about her uh, she is the founder of a nonprofit in honor of her mom called Jerry's Locker, which is, uh, she'll, she'll tell you a little bit more about today, but they're doing great service projects um, to support youth and elderly in under-resourced communities. She plays an important role as a CASA volunteer. We don't know what CASA is, the court-appointed special advocates. Uh, we need more people being CASA volunteers representing children in need. Um, she's also the chair for CASA's Volunteer Council and just wrapped up her 10th year as the choreographer and director for River Place Student Theater. Uh, it's a nonprofit youth theater which produces one major theater production each year. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing her Shrek performance one year, which was, uh, which was really fun. But that's still not all. She, she led a Bob Warner cheerleading program for nine years, um, eating, winning national championship. And she just finished a two-year term as president of the Young Men's Service League, uh, the Austin Viper chapter. She uh, is formerly self-employed, coding, designing websites, consulting, and marketing operations. Uh, her boys now say she's just a professional volunteer, and I use just really loosely. Um, and that's just the stuff we know about from running alongside this woman for, for 10 plus years. So welcome Dion Schaffner, um, better known as primetime to our rogue. She squad women of inspiration podcast. Hi everyone. Yay. <laughs> she squad. Uh, uh, she squad. Yeah, yeah. 
So fun to be it. here. Thank you for having me. I'm just excited to be here with you guys. Well, we are super excited to have you as well. And also our, our it sounds like we have a little co-host in the back. Our, our puppy cheerleading squad. <laughs> puppy cheerleading squad. got super excited by that introduction. Um, so we thank you for joining us and especially being um, another inspirational woman that we know and that we can share with the rest of the team. Um, I know I, you're so humble and so graceful that I know that um, you probably haven't thought of yourself in that way, but I know that I have and Jen have for years. Um, we are really interested in learning a little bit more about your story. I mean, particularly you and I share um, some similarities overcoming in about the same time, some, a difficult divorce. And then you had lost your mom shortly after everything with the divorce, I guess, started. Um, and what was, amazed me was just how composed and how graceful you were through it. I mean, you just kind of marched forward. You found passions. You found fullness in life. Um, and even though I know it didn't look like you were hurting because you just looked so graceful, it looked like whatever pain was happening, you just sort of channeled it into really positive areas. Um, and I know this is hard to talk about. It's super hard for me to talk about. Um, but I guess um, sort of to get started in this, I wanted to know a little bit more about your, um, well, some about the struggles and grief and loss, but also more importantly first, like how did you um, get to part start participating in sports? And then when did you start running and doing triathlons? Um, yeah, so I think I, I've always been into some sort of sporty something or other, um, ever since I was, you know, little, it's just being physically active has just been a part of my lifestyle. And, um, regardless of where I lived or, you know, if I, over, you know, I started overseas, I'm a military brat, so I kind of been all over the place. Um, sports and physical activity are one of those things that transcends, um, you know, countries and cultures. Um, you know, one of my first favorite memories was I was taking a, uh, I was living in Japan, taking a ballet class because as I was growing, I was really gangly and awkward, sort of a lot of long limbs. And, you know, it was challenging to get all those things working together properly. And so my mom had suggested dance as a way to sort of help coordinate that. Um, those of you who have run with me, you know, I'm likened to perhaps a baby giraffe running at times, just a lot of leg, um, you know, so um, I remember taking a ballet class living in Japan and it was really fun because I took it at a Japanese studio. So all the ballet terms were in French. The teacher spoke in Japanese, which neither language I understood, you know, and I was an English speaking little black girl. And yet we all, you know, danced ballet together. And so it was one of those things that, you know, sports and physical fitness and physical activity is is something that we share in common you know no matter where we are and i think that's something that's sort of i've always kept in my mind and as i've moved from various locations throughout my life i you know i'll move somewhere and I'm like okay well what sport can i do here you know um i move out to go out to school and college i'm like okay well what sport can i do here okay i can cheer for stanford okay i moved to minnesota what sport can i do here okay i'll be a professional cheerleader you know um so it's one of those things that just once you sort of instantiate it as part of your lifestyle it just carries carries through with you wherever you go um so that's something that you know i try to instill in my kids um but just it's an element that is, is more than just physical activity, right? It's, it's a way to connect with people. 
Um, so that's kind of how I, how I started um, just doing, you know, dancing and cheerleading and all that good kind of stuff. I, I didn't really start running, running um, until after I had my first child um, in 2000. And uh, well, I had to retire from professional cheerleading because guess what? A pregnant belly doesn't look real great in a half top and a little bit too bottom. So I switched something else. Um, so after I had my first baby and, you know, I was uh, a stay at home mom. And I think as a lot of people are experiencing now with COVID, um, days are long when you have small children and it is just you and your child at home. And sometimes you have to figure out ways to fill the day and going for runs, starting with the baby in the jogging stroller was a great way to sort of, you know, get through an hour. We get some outside time. Everybody gets some vitamin D. The baby is entertained. I'm getting some exercise. So that's kind of how I started. And I started running and I was like, okay. And I'm a very much a goal oriented person. Like I need something to shoot for. Um, I'm not one of these people who there's some people who are like, you know, I work out four times a week at the gym and this is great. I'm like, no, I need like a goal out there. <laughs> and so as I was running, I was like, okay, I need like a race or something. You know, what haven't I done? And I was like, no, this whole half marathon thing kind of sounds like a cool challenge. Like, what's that all about? Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I go on the World Wide web and I'm like, you know, what's a training plan for a half marathon? It gives you this, you know, eight to 10 weeks sort of mileage buildup. And I'm like, well, okay, we can do that. You know, plop the kid in the stroller, you know, we kick off with three miles, five miles, we start building our way up. And um, we do that. And I run my first half marathon 3M, you know, here in Austin, mm -hmm. which is one that we all love and cherish. And I got done with that. And I was like, who wants to run for like an hour and 45 minutes? Good Lord, this is just how do these people do marathons? I mean, they're running for like four hours. What is that all about? And I was chatting with a friend and she was like, well, you know, there's this thing called, you know, triathlon where you do three different sports. And I was like, oh, well, isn't that an interesting concept? You can mix it up a little bit. Um, I never really swam for fitness. So, you know, that was going to be a hurdle I needed to cross, but I was like, okay. And she was like, you know, there's this group that is this women's only triathlon training program. I was like, oh, this will be great. I'm a beginner. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'll join. There'll be some other people. And she's like, yeah, it's with this group. It's called Rogue. And they have this group. It's called Iron Chicks. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. Like with a name like that, how can you not want to be on board, right? I mean, here we go. This is going to be like powerful girls doing kick-ass stuff where do I sign up? You know? So I, I started there. That's where I met Ruth. She's my very first coach. Um, by the way, I still have my iron chick socks. There's some of us who still have those from those days. So it's like a badge of honor that we still cherish. Um, and so I started with that and I was like, okay, I had to learn how to swim. Um, my first swim coach through that program was Amy Marsh. Um, my first bike coach with that was Ramsey Wall. I mean, I had the best team ever to learn from. I mean, if you're going to start up, a, a, um, you know, a, a new sport and you get an opportunity to learn from these three folks in these disciplines, I mean, you cannot help but succeed. It was amazing. So it was a really fun process. So I started there, did my first triathlon, was totally hooked, um, kept sort of leveling up, started with a sprint, you know, did the dance skin, you know, more women empowerment. We're like, yes. 
girls out here kicking butt, taking names. This is awesome. And I was like, okay, I can do a sprint. I'm like, well, what's the, what's the next level of this thing? Okay, you know, now we're going to do Olympic. All right. So we level up to Olympic. And then we start talking about half um, Ironmans. We're like, okay, we do that. And then we're like, full Ironman. Like, okay, come on. That's a little bit ridiculous. I haven't even run 26.2 miles standalone. Like, how am I supposed to do that at the end of a 2.4 mile swim and a 112 mile bike? Really? Okay. So then I'm like, well, maybe I should figure out if I can run a marathon first before I try to lob it on. So then that's when I started marathon training. And um, yeah, that was the impetus to sort of doing my first uh, marathon was like as a training exercise as to whether or not I could actually do a, a full Ironman. So um, that's kind of how I started. And it just sort of keeps going up from there. You know, it's these kinds of events are um, they're addicting because of, you know, the kind of shape that you get your body into the people that you meet, the community. I mean, you go to these events and, you know, people are cheering for you and you're like working hard and they're making signs and you're just having a great day. And, and then you get to do the flip side too. You get to go to these events and cheer on other people. It's just the community element of it is so fun. You know, you know, I'm a cheerleader by nature. Like I like the whole team thing. Like, are we all going to wear matching kits? Yeah. I'm in, you know, what colors are we wearing today? You know, let's do this. So it's just, it's, um, you know, so in addition to just all the physical greatness that you get, it's really the community around it and kind of the people that you meet. It's just, it's just amazing. And the matching kits. I love that. I do too. I do too. And I, I could not agree with you more um, on that path. So most people think, you know, that, that running a half marathon or a marathon alone is crazy. So Iron Man is definitely next level, right? So I understand that that path and that progression, right? And wanting to to push yourself further and try the next thing to leading you to do one Iron Man. But you did five, if I'm not mistaken. So <laughs> what drove you to keep going and do five Iron Man triathlons? Well, you know, the first one that you do same with marathons, you know, is like, you do it to finish. You're just like, I just need to see if I can do this thing. And so you do the thing and you're like, yes, I did it. And you get all the high from all of that. And then you do the postmortem afterwards. You're like, you know, that mile such and such through such and such, you know, I could have done, I could have taken some more nutrition or I didn't run those hills right or I didn't really push as hard as I could have on that, you know, so the next one out, you're like, okay, these are the things I'm going to fix. You know, I'm going to try to readdress these things and make, make it better. You know, I'm going to be faster, stronger, smarter. I'm going to race smarter. You know, um, I'm going to have less bathroom stops. I'm going to figure out, you know, what's the right nutrition that doesn't cause me to need to take a diversion to a porta potty. You know, um, there's, you just, you start to really look at it and figure out these, these opportunities for improvement you know, one, and then two, again, it's the community, right? We got other friends who were like, Hey, you know, we're going to go to this other destination and do this race. And you're like, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. And it's not really just the race either. It's the training that builds up to it. Right. It's this whole, like, we are on a journey together. 
you go through these highs and these lows together. It's, um, you know, a, a great excuse to get together with friends and to work out. And um, again, for me, you know, I, I do enjoy the physical activity, but I always do like to have some sort of goal out there. And so it was nice to just sort of put those races out there. And, um, you know, each race was different. Sometimes it was, you know, we're going to do this race. And then it was like, okay, we're going to go, this one has an ocean swim or this one we're climbing in the mountains or this one's really hot, you know, and it's, it's going to be a badge of honor. If you can finish Ironman Texas, like the DNF rate is crazy there, but if, if you can battle through the heat, like, oh, that's a new sort of element to it that kind of adds to it. So every race is kind of different. Now I did try to retire after the fourth one. I was like, I did my first race. I did a couple great destination races. I did one race where I tried really, really hard and, you know, was on point with all my, my racing and, you know, even gave up drinking for a while, you know, that kind of stuff. And crazy. I know. Right. It's just like, you know, it's good to try it once and be like, yeah, I did it. Great. You know, and I crushed it, had an amazing time. And I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to rest and be done. And I had, I had told that to my two sons and my youngest son was like, but mom, I never saw you do an Ironman. I was like, well, yes, you did. You came up to Coeur Lane and you saw, and he's like, but I was too young to remember. And then I'm like, oh, as a mom, you know, you're trying to like have this legacy with your children. I'm like, how can I go? And he doesn't ever remember seeing it. Okay. So also all the parents, like when you take your kid to Disney world at age two, you're going to have to go again, just FYI. So you might as well save it till they're late older, you know, cause they're not going to remember the experience. So same thing with Ironman, your two-year-old shows up at the Ironman, you know, waves his little flag and his little, you know, cowbell and cheers you on. That's great and all, but I'm telling you three years later, he's not going to remember and you're going to have to do it again. So just make a plan for that. <laughs> so that was number five. Number five is all Devin's fault. It totally was <laughs> Devin's fault. 100%. I mean, I'd even announced my retirement after the fourth one. I was like, yes, I'm done. I'm good. I'm moving on to some other kind of adventure. And then I had to, you know, pull a, you know, all the, the major athletes that come out of retirement. You know, Brett Farr, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These guys are like, nope, I'm coming back again. And yeah. But I am now truly I retired, period. End of story. That's not happening. So For so, real <laughs> So I think one thing that no matter what, what our team is training for, right? Because we've got a team that uh, ranges from people just getting started um, running or people who are experienced athletes like yourself, right? So we've got this really wide range of team. And I think one common thing that everyone struggles with is how to fit our training in. And I think Ironman is a perfect example because that's, training on steroids, right? You have three sports you're training for. And being married to an Ironman, I, I know firsthand how much time and commitment it takes to fit that in. So how did you train at that level while raising two kids, plus working, volunteering, et cetera? Great question. Yes. Um, it really comes down to well, two things. Okay. So time management, first of all, is just being really efficient and effective with your time. Um, you know, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Um, it's just how we choose to use those hours. 
Um, and the second piece of that is you will figure out a way to do the things that are important to you. So if that means you wake up at 4.15 in the morning and you are training from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. before your kiddos get up and you do breakfast and the school run, then that's what you do. Um, you have to just figure out ways to kind of map it in. You know, was I in bed at 9.45? Yes. <laughs> You know, I would have to, you know, stream the uh, Jimmy Fallon Night Show and watch it later because I could never stay up that late. Um, you know, so you just have to sort of figure out what's important. To you. And then you really have to multi-use your time. So if I'm, you know, riding my bike on the trainer, I've written many an article or done some coding. You know, I have a cool like desk um, set up over the top of my bicycle where I can type or dictate into, you know, a, a word app and write things. Um, you can make use of your time. Now, okay, when you're swimming, you can't really do that. Swimming, you're just swimming. But that's it. However, that actually, that's not true either. I would go into a swim set sometimes if it's a long swim with a coding problem in my head, um, you know, an idea of an article that I needed to write or some other problem. And I would spend the swim set swimming, but really thinking about you know, this other problem that I had to be doing, um, you know, so you can engage your mind and engage your body in different things and sort of get that, get that time, make it multi-purpose. Now there's sometimes when you just need a run or something where it's just a blank slate and you don't want to have to think about a damn thing. And those times are important also. So you got to kind of schedule those things in too. Like it doesn't have, always have to be uber productive, but if you have a lot of things that you are trying to do, then you just have to be really efficient about how you're doing that. I mean, when for my last Ironman, number five, um, both of my boys had a lot of uh, Saturday activities. We were, you know, the football game or a swim meet or all this kind of stuff. And so Saturdays were really um, set up. And when, you, when you're trying to do 80 mile bike rides or 100 mile bike rides on the weekends, it's, a, it's just a big time commitment. And so... I would schedule my calendar days where on Fridays I would get up, get the kids breakfast, get them off to school. I would get on my bike at eight. I would ride my bike on the trainer from eight to one. <laughs> you know, I get off, I'd have lunch, I'd shower, and then I'd go pick up the kids from school. And that was how I did Friday. And that was how I got my long ride in um, so that I could still be available, you know, for my family on the weekends and things like that. Um, you know, this every year I sort of take a word out of my uh, nomenclature and the word I've taken out is busy because a lot of people are like, Oh, you seem like really busy. Or sometimes we use the word busy. You're like, Oh, I can't do that because I'm busy. It's not that you're busy. It's just that you are prioritizing and allocating your time. You're making the choice. You're like, I'm, if I'm busy, you know, quote unquote busy, it's, and I can't do this other thing. You're really saying, I am choosing to prioritize this element and this is what I'm going to be doing the, during this time. So I'm unable to do this other thing. And you have to be good with that with yourself. You know, you have to figure out because if I feel like sometimes we have like we can feel overwhelmed as, you know, as as uh, people who are working or you're volunteering or you're a mom and your wife or your, your girlfriend, and you're trying to do all these things and you can feel overwhelmed and busy. And it's like your life is taking over you. But if you take the word busy out of it and you really reframe it as I'm in control of this and I'm deciding where I'm going to be spending my time, it really shifts everything. And you feel 
more in control of what you're doing. You feel like your priorities are more in line or you're making, you're making informed decisions on where you're spending your time. And it can take some of that fluster away from you and so that you don't feel like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Instead, you're like, nope, I'm not overwhelmed, but here's how I'm going to be spending my time because this is what's important to me and this is what I want to get done. So it's really sort of just flipping that on the side. And so with training, it was like, you know, this is something that's important to me. I have to figure out where I can put it in um, and how I can just use my time most effectively. Absolutely. Great advice. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. I actually, I'm going to have to start reframing that for myself as well. I think that's actually an amazing way to put it. Um, We haven't quite talked about this, but just sort of switching gears just a little bit. I'm just curious um, because I've done a similar thing, but certainly in the Ruth way, but how has running and triathlon um, played a role in your recovery from the grief from your divorce, as well as the loss of your mom? Yes. So, um, and I think it goes back to, you know, what we touched on briefly about is just really the community aspect of it. I mean, you know, Jen, Ruth and I, I, we would go on runs, you know, there'd be runs when I'm crying and you guys are supporting me. There'd be a run when Jen's crying and we're supporting her, you know, I always like to say, yeah, some people get together and um, discuss over coffee. Some people go to therapy. We run, you know, we just, we put on our shoes and we run through the, you know, through the streets of Austin and solve all of our personal problems. Um, but it's really, there's something about, um, I don't know, when, you're, when your body is engaged and you're feeling like this physical like work that's being done, it kind of frees up your, your soul a little bit, you know, it kind of gives you this space, um, to share and to be a little bit vulnerable with these people because you've been vulnerable, like physically, you know, we've struggled on, you know, Mount Benel, we're like dying to go up Uladera Norte, you know, and we're like being there for each other. So when you find these groups of people that you can train with, um, it is the best support system that I could have ever imagined. And, you know, I don't, I don't even think it was something that like, you're like, I'm joining a running group because I need therapy partners. No, you know, but it's one of those things that has just come out of it. And then once you kind of get this, get the taste of that, you're like, yes, this is my people. And when you're having a rough week, you're like, okay, yeah, but I'm going to go do the long run with my guys and it's going to be great. And not only am I going to work out some of the the stuff in my body physically, but I'm going to get this, soulful healing opportunity, you know, and, um, you know, it was a place where, you know, I mean, when you, when you go through grief of, you know, uh, a marriage ending or, you know, losing a parent, you know, there are for sure a hundred percent times where you go through the anger phase, right. You know, you're just pissed as hell, you know, and, and that could come out in some, you know, some not so great ways sometimes, you know, but when you have some people around you who are supportive, there's a safe place for you to vent, you know, and they're not going to, you know, hold you, your feet to the fire and be like, ah, you know, but they're just going to be there to listen and you can sort of vent it out and sort of reframe and refocus yourself and get yourself regrounded. You know, you put down two and a half, three hours of running and you've cried and you've yelled and you've screamed. And I mean, we would even stop in the middle of a run and hug for a few minutes, you know, um, <laughs> It was, it was just this really amazing, you know, community and camaraderie and support 
Um, and, and knowing that I had the, you know, those folks were there for me that you guys were there for me, you know? Okay. I'm not going to cry, but, um, okay. I'm not cry, but, um, but you know, it was really instrumental and, you know, I could get done with a run and be like, okay, I feel better. I've vented. I've got some hugs and some pour, you know, I'm going to stretch and then I'm going to go and I'm going to tackle the rest of my day. And, you know, it was having those kinds of opportunities that, you know, made me a better mom. Like I could go and like, you know, face my kids and be like, how are we picking up our pieces from here and moving forward? Because, you know, I had the opportunity to work through some of those emotions in a positive, safe, you know, environment and feel very supported you know, and loved and not judged, you know, cause we all go through some shit. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can say that. Well, let's go through some stuff. Um, you know, and it really does take a village. It really does take a village. And, you know, I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm a kind of a private person for, for the most part, you know? So, I mean, you guys don't even know half the details and probably you don't even know how much you supported me through all of that, but just by showing up you know, and running with me, you guys helped me get through so much stuff. And, you know, it's nice to be able to sort of pay that back, you know, when I see somebody else struggling or, you know, somebody else calls me, they're like, oh, this is going on in my life. What the hell? And I'm like, girl, come on, we're going for a run. Let's make this happen, you know, and we're, we're going for a long bike. Let's just talk about it, you know, and, um, or let's go have wine because that also works sometimes too. But, you know, um, either one of those things are great, but really um, it is, I have found in my experience um, with the the people of Rogue, I don't know if there's something about it that sort of attracts these kinds of people to one another. Um, this It's just been a very supportive, welcoming place where you can be you, whoever you are, wherever you happen to be at in your lifetime right now. And there are people who will be there to support you. And quite frankly, there's probably someone who's been through the same stuff that you're going through at some level too. So, you know, it's a place where you can just feel really good about coming and, and being you. I agree. I, I, that, that was exactly my experiences, but it, it, it is nice to know, like you said, that there are people out there where it's the same thing, you know, and, and that you can be so um, vulnerable and share. So it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, you saying that really hits me too, because I, I also am very private and being vulnerable is really difficult. I was, I was talking to Ruth about this yesterday, but I think that is one of the beautiful things about running is one, we do know each other really well because we have spent hours and hours and hours, you know, running alongside each other, but there's also this comfort in that you're not having to sit across looking someone in the eye and pouring these things out that are really difficult to say, right? Running gives you this little bit of like comfort in that you're looking forward, you're just focused on, you know, one step at a time, but you can say these things and get them out to your running partners who are your friends, your support system. And, and it, it's a little bit less uncomfortable. I guess is where I'm trying to go with that, you know, to be vulnerable, you can actually like get some of those things out. Whereas I don't know if I could do it if I was sitting across the table from my girlfriends. Right. Agreed. hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. I, I think the other beautiful thing um, is that you turned your grief into doing good for others. And I think that that is 
truly inspirational. So can you tell us a little bit more about Jerry's Locker that you started in your mom's honor? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's really interesting that this notion of sort of philanthropy or service to others and how it, how it really appears that you're like, oh my gosh, you're so giving and doing all this other kind of stuff. But you know, in reality, it's one of the most selfish things you can do because it makes you feel so good. <laughs> it's one of the things, it's the easiest thing to like make yourself feel really good. There's just something joyful and peaceful um, about being in service. I, I'm, you know, choose your faith of choice. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a lot of passages that are about that. And there, and there's a reason that it transcends so many different kind of faiths and, and belief systems. It's because it really is, it really is true. Um, and so, um, my, my mom, it was an interesting thing is that, you know, it, it was one of those things, again, that it's, it was always a part of her lifestyle. She was a nurse by trade, which in and of itself is just, you know, being an amazing service opportunity. Um, but she has always sort of given back in any way she could. And um, one of my favorite moments from uh, my mom's celebration of life, I'm sitting there with my boys and um, all these different people are coming up and sort of giving these stories and telling about how my mom impacted their lives and, you know, kind of what roles she played in there. And it's just, I mean, person after person came up with all these different stories <laughs> and my son leans over and he's like, Gigi did all that. We thought she just like sat home and watched, watched sports because we're a big sports fan. <laughs> and, like, and, and even though we knew she did those things, seeing them all in one place at one time was really profound um you know because she would come over to be like oh I just went and met my cost again oh I just went and registered some folks to vote or you know oh I was serving meals at Meals on Wheels We're like oh yeah it's just part of her everyday life and then to see it all kind of in one place and see the body of work you know that she had been doing was just really inspiring to me and the thing that I, I loved the most about it was you know we grew up a military family, very middle class, you know, didn't have a lot of money. We, um, you know, it's not like she could go out. She's not like Bill Gates is like, I'm writing a million dollar check for these people, you know, and like, ah. but what she did was she gave of her time and her talent, like the things that she was good at, like she would be a medical advocate for some of her elderly friends who would have to go to visit their doctors and couldn't understand what the doctors were telling them. She's like, no, what they, what you're going to need to do is you're gonna need this, that, and the other. Here's why. Um, but just using her own knowledge and her time. And I was like, this is something that everybody can do. Like, sometimes I feel like we are like, okay, when I reach a certain age, when I am a certain uh, level of success or a level of wealth, you know, then will be my opportunity to sort of give back. But in reality, Every person right now has everything they need to be an amazing philanthropist. You have talent, you have time, you have things that you're interested in doing. And I guarantee you out there right now, there is somebody in need, a group in need that you that needs your particular superpower right now. And you know, and I was like, and I don't think everybody really understands that. Like, I figure like everyone's like, oh, I have to wait till I have money. I need to, just to write a check or in, uh, unless it's some huge, you know, thing that it's not going to be impactful. 
you know, unless I can change the world, it's not going to make a, diff a difference. But here's the thing is you as one person may not be able to change the world, but you as one person could change the world for one person. And what if we each just reached back and helped one person up? What if everybody right now just reached one other person? Think about how far we can move the needle on just our whole community, our society, the world altogether. And so that's kind of where we started this, this notion of this nonprofit was, you know, into sort of doing those things and, and helping people find their superpower and helping people find opportunities where meet them where they're at right now. Like you could, you know how to boil eggs. Awesome. Guess what? You know, Meals on Wheels, they, one of the biggest thing they need are hard-boiled eggs to give to the homeless because it's great protein, it keeps, it's like all this amazing thing. You and your kid or you guys can sit at home for, you know, just boil a ton of eggs. Awesome. You know, you're making a difference. And there's somebody out there, there's one person out there who's like, yes, I look at the protein I'm getting right now. This I'm going to have this and a peanut butter sandwich. And this may be the only meal I have today, but it's going to be a good one. It's going to last me. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it started. That That's amazing. Super cool. I can boil eggs really well. I did not know that. I now know I have another thing I can do. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I um along the same vein, I mean I think that's incredible. You also uh you got involved with CASA, um, which is something that I've always wanted to do and I and I saw you do it and I was like, Oh, so jealous. And and it, I actually have now contacted them in Denver and I'm hoping that as soon as they get a little bit more you know, COVID gets a little bit more understanding that I can start doing more with them. But um, anyway, tell us a little bit more about your role uh, as a CASA volunteer. Yes. So CASAs were court-appointed special advocates. Um, so when a child enters the um, Family Protection Services, or CPS, through the, the department, um, every child, well, in Travis County, every child is assigned um, a CASA who their job is to um, represent the best interest of the child. So there's there's a lot of different advocates that come in when, when families come into the system. They get a lawyer um, whose job is to um, champion what the child wants. Um, you know, so a kid's like, hey, I, you know, I want to stay living with my family. That's what I want, like most kids, but you know, the reason why they're in the system is because living with their family isn't safe for them, right? So even so, but the, the lawyer's job is to still sort of push for that. The CASA's job is to push for, yes, but what's in the best interest of this child as, as a whole? So, you know, how can we make the situation safe? What's going to be best? Um, so it's really the voice of the child in, um, the, uh, in, in the court. And it's a great program. So my mom did it, which is one of the reasons why I started looking into it. But then I started looking into it too. And I was like, you know, I am right now, um, you know, I have two kids of my own and I have to do a lot of, you know, advocacy for my own kids, like at school or in their sports or, you know, here are the things that I'm trying to teach them or, and I'm like, how about these kids who are in the system, who are in foster families or in residential centers, who, who is doing that for these kids? Who is doing that for them right now? And you know, I'm already doing it for two kids. Like what's, what's one more kid? Just, you know, add it, add it into the thing. It's like, if you're driving a minivan and you got, you know, four extra seats, put four extra kids in, you're still driving the same way. It's no more, you know, you're not doing it. You just put them in the car. So, um, 
so that's kind of how I really got started with that. And it's, um, it's, it's really interesting just to see um, the intricacies of how the system works and how, how much support these kids need. And the other thing is like, there's kids that are in these programs who are there through no fault of their own, right? These are, they are results of decisions that their parents are making or the other family members are making. And yet they are the ones that sort of are bearing the brunt of a lot of the repercussions of these. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's all about, you know, fairness and, you know, equitability. And I'm like, that's just not fair. Like these kids are, you know, and a lot of times, um, you know, our African-American, our black kids are overrepresented in the system. So they, they've already got, you know, these hurdles that are placed in front of them just because of the way our society is nowadays. Then they've got these additional ones, you know, so they've got like all these hurdles that are just being thrown at them. And I'm like, okay, how can we get in here and help them navigate or remove some of these barriers and how, what kind of support can we give them to sort of make their way through this? Because if we don't get it fixed here, we just, the cycle just continues, right? What can we do to sort of break this cycle? So um, yeah, it's a great organization. Um, they have great training. Um, they, they teach you a lot about sort of, you know, the legal part of it. They also teach you about like interpersonal relationships. I'm all, so a lot of the training that we do. I'm like, this is great therapy. Like I'm learning a lot about myself and my own motivations. Like, how am I raising my kids? I mean, this is like, again, all these great resources available. Um, and I've, you know, I've developed a lot as a, just as a person in sort of going through this process and how I view, you know, other people and, um, really looking at, uh, there's this one great class it's called trauma-informed um, trauma-informed advocacy, and the the crux of it is is that you when you see a behavior or something that is happening, instead of sort of focusing on the behavior that's happening right now, you ask the question, how did this person get to this point? What was the trauma that has caused them to be, to react this way, to behave this way? And even with some of our parents who come into CPS, you know, they learned how to be a parent from their parents. And did their parent have the skills and the tools to be a good parent? Probably no. You know, everybody's just doing the best that they can with what they have at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you take that approach to things, you can say like, okay, that's what they knew then. How can we educate? How can we support? How can we help them see maybe a different way and and make a different choice? You know, and I use that like in my everyday life. You know, somebody pisses me off at the store. I'm like, wow. So I'd be like, that person's such a jerk. I'm like wow, I wonder what happened to them. They just had a bad day today. Maybe they got a flat tire, you know, they lost their job. Like who knows? And it has made me so more like empathetic towards people of like, you know, the first thing I'm like, wow, you're really hurting. I'm, I'm so sorry you're hurting instead of why are you being such a jerk? You know? And it's really this kind of this twist on things, but, um, it's again, that's just like one of the things that you learn from going through this process and sort of helping people. Um, again, it's like, it's selfish. I'm like, look at the stuff that I'm learning through this. I feel like I'm becoming a better person because I'm actually helping somebody else and learning all these things along the way. But cost is a great organization, great training. You again, you have the opportunity to change, to literally change somebody's life for the better. I mean, literally change somebody's life for the better just by showing up listening, be a consistent voice, helping them navigate through, you know, some crazy legal processes. And, um, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a licensed therapist. You just have to be a caring person who is willing to dedicate some time. 
The rest is easy. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't it's wait. Exactly. I love that Ruth is getting involved in CASA too. It's it's an exceptional organization. Um, and it, it sounds like some of that training might actually even be helping cope with this weird time that we're in right now. So with COVID-19, you know, I think it is easy to react to other people's reactions when really people are struggling right now, right? Social isolation has a different impact on different people. Um, we've all been impacted like this, uh, by this in our personal lives, our professional lives, in our charitable or philanthropy lives. So can you talk a little bit about how COVID-19 um, has, has impacted you personally and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, for CASA specifically, um, it is it is a really challenging time um, because of the isolation, right? Because now potentially, you know, we have kids um, who are, you know, quarantined with in unsafe places. You know, I think the, I think the numbers 20 percent of reports that come into CPS come from educators. So now, because educators have eyes on these kids all day, so now we don't have these other eyes on these kids, you know, and people are like, oh, well, the number of reports are down. You're like, yeah, because nobody's able to see what's going on, uh, you know, and this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Um, so not only are we not able to see what's going on, but now we're putting families who are already under stress under even more stress, Right. The, the folks who are most affected by COVID-19 are some of our marginalized communities. They're the first ones getting laid off. They're the ones who don't have health care protections. They're the ones who don't have a rainy day fund. They can't, they're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. And now that's stopping. And, you know, now we have food insecurities at home. We have people who are losing their homes. Um, and then we don't have the services that normally can support these kinds of uh, situations aren't available, right? We, we can't, Go and meet face-to-face -face with these people. So if from a CASA perspective, it's really challenging. We're actually bracing for when we kind of come out of this. And all of a sudden, we now have more eyes on kids. Um, there's going to be this big uptick of, of, of reports and um, services that are going to be needed um, to sort of resolve with the, the aftermath of some of these things that are going on. Um, you know, because families who are, you know, well-adjusted right now are still, you know, they're struggling. They're like, everybody's home all the time. We're all in each other, in each other's business, you know. There's not enough room in a house. Everyone go to your own corner, you know. And then, you know, think about folks who don't even have the, the physical distance to separate if they needed it. Um, you know, so it's really challenging. As, and from a cost perspective, we're not allowed to meet face-to-face -face with our cost of kids. Um, so, we're doing, uh, you know, we're trying to do video conferencing. My, the, the young lady that I'm, uh, uh, the case that I'm on right now, she doesn't have a phone. And so even if she wanted to call me, she couldn't. She has to ask somebody else. And so, you know, her sort of level of control over her own opportunities is decreased. Um, she doesn't have, a, you know, didn't have a computer. And so fortunately, the ISD that she's in, they let them computers out. So, you know, now at least we can email, but guess what? The semester's ending. All the computers are going back. So now she's in this, you know, level of isolation and it's, you know, the, the opportunity to sort of be able to connect or to reach out, ask for help is, is even decreasing. So we as CASAs are trying to, you know, come up with 
different kind of ways, which actually lends me very nicely into this new program that we're doing for Jerry Soccer. It's called Kindles for Care. Um, so we are getting Kindles and tablets um, loaned to some of our foster kids so that they have access to books. I mean, we have kids who are readers who would love to read, spend their time doing that, but can't, we can't even get to the library, you know? That So what, what are we going to do? Um, so now we're trying to get them some um, opportunities to sort of do that. So that's one of the things that we're kind of working on right now is, but, you know, this, this COVID is just, it is highlighting um, the gaps and highlighting the, the highs and the lows um, significantly. But, you know, that also is, you know, an opportunity, right? So we see that this is happening. What what can we do to fix it? You know, how, what can we do to address it? So um, that's kind of where it is. And personally, um, you know, I'm at home with my two boys and I kind of have to say, I kind of like it. <laughs> I mean, uh, my boys and I, we, we are, we are pretty tight, the three of us and have been, you know, through, through our traumas and the things that we've gone through. And my oldest who had started college this year, you know, so last year I spent the whole year going, oh, this is my last year with him. He's leaving, you know? And so now I'm like, I have all this bonus time with both my boys and, you know, they don't even have the opportunity to leave me, you know, to go do other stuff with all their friends. So I'm like, Oh, I'm embracing this time right now. I was like, here's these projects. We're building gardens in the back. We're, you know, creating all this. We're having a good time. Cause I'm like, this is bonus, bonus time with my boys. And, um, you know, I know it's very different for parents with younger kids because that's a whole different ballgame. Um, but if you're parents of teenagers who are sort of looking at the we're on the tail end of our sort of time and relationship with each other. Um, this is just bonus bonus time right now. And I, I kind of like it. Absolutely. I, you know, I think I think you offer some really good perspective because it's easy to be, um, you know, like, Oh, I want to go get my nails done or I want to get my hair done or I want to go, you know, sit in a restaurant with my friends and have dinner when the reality is like, no, there are much bigger problems right now than any of those nice to haves, um, like the problems that you highlighted with CASA. Um, I think one thing that I did want you to share also was the amazing thing that you and the boys did together um, for our frontline healthcare workers. Yeah. So, when so when all this COVID stuff started happening and, and Jerry's locker were really a hands-on kind of service oriented things, we go out and we do a lot of things. All of a sudden, you know, it, under these circumstances, we can't really go out, you know, and help. And so there was a while I was sitting at home, I was struggling. I was like, what can we be doing right now? Like, okay, let's inventory our superpowers. Like, what can we do right now to sort of help people? Who needs help? And what what can we do? Um you know, I can't write a big check to go and buy tens of thousands of N95s to send to someone. I'm like, we can't do that. Um, so, you know, we're, I was sitting there, you know, pondering, I'm reading on Facebook and Twitter. And then I saw this post about um, these folks who are 3D printing these ear guards um, that help people who ha now have to wear the surgical masks all day and keep the pressure off their ears. Um, and that they were using their 3D printers at home. And I was like, oh, we have a 3D printer and we have time. Like, okay, we can totally do this. Like this, we got this. Like this is something we totally do. So we just jumped in with both feet 
we joined a couple other organizations who were doing it. You know, I was like, I have friends who are healthcare workers. We have connections who are on the front line. We know where to get these things. You know, I've got, I've got two boys, you know, Devin, my youngest, he, you know, wants to be a mechanical engineer. I was like, dude, this is right up your alley. You got to get this thing figured out. Like, how do we make this thing work? Um, and it went from, you know, something that we, that the boys had on hand as, you know, a fun sort of thing to here's how we can be productive, you know, in this, in this time. Um, one of the things that during this, this COVID-19 craziness, so I'm all about the number three. And I was like, okay, every day there's three things that we have to do. One you have to do um, something for yourself. You have to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. So you have to get out, work out. You got to do like your schoolwork or whatever. And then you got to do something that's, you know, that you feel is fun for you. Okay. So you got one, you have to do something for yourself. Two, you have to do something for the family, for the, this place where you live. So sometimes that's you need to clean your room, do the laundry, mow the lawn, you know, something like that something for the family. And the third thing is we have to do something for the community. And so we'd been struggling in finding that thing. And so um, when this came about, we were like, yes, this is the thing that we could do for that community. And Devin really jumped on it. And Shay, my oldest, who actually works at um, Dogtopia, shout out for Dogtopia, whoop, whoop. Um, they remained open because they were taking care of dogs of essential workers, so the people who were still going. So he was actually still working. And he's like, well, I'm an essential employee because I'm working at the time. And we're like, you know what? You're right. That counts as your third thing for the community. Good job. Right. Devin, you're in charge of running this 3D printing thing. He's like, okay, I'm on it. So, um, so that was kind of the way we sort of, and that's how we've been sort of approaching every day is like, here's the three things, you know, what are we doing for ourselves? What are we doing for our family or, you know, where we live? And then what are we doing sort of for the community? And so um, we were really excited to be able to sort of find something um, that we can do that can help right now. You know, it's not, um, we usually focus on children and the elderly in, in marginal, uh, marginalized communities, but um, this obviously was a big need and, you know, definitely has trickled down all over the place. So we were super excited to be able to sort of, um, you know, embrace this project and jump on it. That's cool. I, I might have to add that to my repertoire in, in an intentional way. So sometimes I think it happens, but I haven't been as intentional as you guys have been. So I, I think that's, and as you said, it, it actually is selfish. Uh, it, um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, sort of switching gears a little bit, but uh, what's been your uh, low point in running and what's been a high point in running? Uh, let's see. Well, I think probably, you know, the lowest, lowest point was probably, you know, coming to in a, you know, ambulance after being carted off the course of Eugene Marathon, you know, that was a pretty low moment, um, physically. Um, but I think anyone who's been, and Jen, you've sort of, um, mentioned this before, just it, when you're in the injury cycle, it's so hard and it's so frustrating um, when, when you're injured and you can't do the things that you really want to do. And sometimes injuries can be, you know, a mystery and you try things and it doesn't work. You switch your shoes and it doesn't work. You stretch, you get your therapy, you know, all this kind of stuff and it's still not working. You can't nail it down. I think those are kind of the low moments when you're just, uh, you know, there's nothing that you can do. Well, that you feel like there's nothing you can do to kind of get you out of that moment. Um, you know, I think that's kind of, uh, one of the, the low points. Um, a high point in running, 
I mean, I think there was probably a couple, I think my, my very first marathon was running Austin marathon, which is a bit of a beast in its own right. And that was my first marathon. And I was running in the 345 pace group because that would be my Boston qualifying time. Um, and the moment that I had rounded the Capitol and I was running with my pacer, my 345 pacer, and he turned to me and he said, you know, you got this right. And I just like, you know, started tearing up because you could see the finish line as you're coming down Congress. And I was like, I am doing this. Look at me. I'm doing this, you know, and that was my first like super long endurance sort of moment. And then, you know, you start to cry and then you're like, stop crying. You're going to go into cramps. You need the salt. Cut it out. You know, um, so I think, you know, finishing, finishing my first marathon and qualifying for Boston in that same fell swoop was pretty, pretty amazing. And I think also um, finishing my first Ironman triathlon, because that was, you know, a near 14 hour <laughs> endeavor. Um, and just crossing the line on that was such a feeling of, you know, accomplishment and triumph of, you know, of not only a physical one, but that, you know, Ironman and marathon both are so much more mental than physical, you know, because there's going to be low, there's going to be low miles, there's going to be low points. And to just be able to keep going, you know, through that. And that is something, you know, as we sort of talk back to you know, the trauma of, you know, divorce or losing your family or things like that is when you have examples in your life where you have done something that is really hard, it gives you confidence to take on other hard things, you know, so finishing an Ironman or one or four or five or whatever, and then, you know, staring down the barrel of a really hard, not fun at all divorce. You're like, look, this is just another hard endurance, you know, event that is going to tax my mind. It's going to tax my body. It's going to tax my spirit, but I know I can do it. I have examples of where I've done it before. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to rely on my friends. I'm going to rely on my support. I'm going to rely on my nutrition sometimes some alcohol, whatever, you know, and I'm going to make my way through and I know I can do it, you know? And so every time you cross the line or you finish or you get up when you have fallen down and you try again, that just kind of puts that in that bank of the next time you're facing down something, you're like, okay, here we go. I know I can do it. Done it before. It's I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not going to say it didn't hurt because it will, but you know that you can make it through to the other side. So I think, you know, having those high points um, and those successes and, and you put, you gotta, you gotta hold on to those so that you can tap into that when you need it because you will need it. I mean, life sucks. It should happen. And <laughs> you're going to need those moments. And when you have those, look back at those and be like, you know what? I, I did that. You know, I did that and I found a way to make it work. I can do this other thing. That's awesome. So, so true. So, so true. Um, so the book, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to start it or download it or listen to it. Um, we're discussing it, of course, chapter one in the introduction this week. So what are your impressions so far? And I guess I just also to kind of ask, have you ever, you know, had any experiences in your own training where you're like, wow, that could have been helpful uh, to know my hormones are, you know, really, really a big part of, I mean, it's obvious, but it's not obvious, I think, but 
at least it wasn't to me, um, of, of my training um, or anything along those lines. Yeah, I am actually super excited because quite frankly, I never considered um, sort of that physiology as having, you know, impact other than the, okay, well, you know, women's hips are different. Our stride looks a little crazy, you know, or it's, it's just different, um, you know, and sort of the way we run. But, you know, as a dancer, my legs are already turned out. You know, I'm already a little bit funky when I run anyway, you know, but I never really attributed it to like the female physiology you know part of it's probably I grew up as a tomboy you know I'm the A-team you know I don't really have to worry about like jog bra situations you know stuff like that um so it it didn't occur to me that that um probably had an impact which I just didn't even recognize like I think um Amy mentioned something on her podcast that you guys had that she was like yeah sometimes you get done with the running you're like god I was so sluggish I feel awful like I don't even know why just was not my day and then your period starts the next day you know I never put those two together never I was just like ah it was just off day um so I think it's going to be really fascinating to read and um you know integrate this knowledge into you know where do I, my, about my fat stores, you know, my, I need a different protein balance, you know, things like that. And, and I think especially too, as you, as you become older, now that we're, some of us are ladies of a certain age, um, that, you know, those kinds of things become more important. Like when you're young, you can run through anything, you know, you can stay up the night before, be dehydrated, get up, run just off of the chips and queso dinner that you had the night before. You're totally fine. You know, youth, as a way of sort of glossing through a lot of that stuff. But I think as you get older, um, you know, and you put your body through more things that you have to be a little more cognizant of, you know, how am I fueling? How's my hydration? You know, what do my, and you know, and now that my hormones are changing, what does that mean? You know, and how does that affect my, um, my recovery or my injuries? You know, what am I more perceptible to? So I'm completely excited about this book. Um, I read the first chapter, um, and so I'm so excited to kind of continue along with this process because this is an area that I just didn't really think about. And now I feel like this is going to be another set of tools in my toolkit, you know, that will help me continue to be able to run or train or just be physically active in the way that I want to. So I'm super pumped. I didn't even know it existed. So thank you for bringing this up and and having this here. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I just figured it was that we are just the same. It's not a big deal. You know, I, I, and I actually believe the opposite than, you know, than a lot of the book says, like I thought, oh, the best time to race is going to be right before my period. Cause who wants to get your period in the middle of a marathon or an Ironman or God, heaven forbid, that would be awful. And to know that, uh, you know, the world record was broken <laughs> during a period. It's kind of like, what the hell is that? So yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah. I was also wanting to ask before. Wait, oh, sorry. Oh, so let, me, let me tell you what this other thing. So um, with that and sort of after being a mom and having kids and knowing the, I think I read somewhere about the, when you're pregnant, when you have kids, like your cardiovascular structure changes, you just have to pump a whole lot more blood through. And so now this whole notion of being like mom strong is kind of something that I really enjoy. I'm like, yes, you know, I have added all this, this extra stuff in my body. And then like when you're a, when you're a mom and you have done stuff like 
you know, you carry the car seat and the baby and the backpack and you're pushing the stroller and you're doing all this. I'm like, we like cross train, like nobody's business as a, as a parent, you know, there's like all these other things that you got to do. And, um, you know, and moms are all about that. And I like in the book how it's like, women, we are designed for endurance. I'm like, that's right. We can weather any storm. We can, we can push through longer. Like the guys are like, oh, look at me fast sprinting. I'm really amazing. We're like, yes, but can you go for 14 hours? Look at, we're going to crush it. We are just built for this kind of stuff, you know? So it was, I was like really fired. I was like, yeah, girl power. I totally agree. (laughs) Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be really fun too with this crew that we have um, to explore this book. So before we wrap up, we've got a couple of fun questions for you. So if you could pick any person in the entire world to go on a run with, who would it be? Uh, I think, okay, don't laugh, but I would like to go on a run with Oprah. Because I think that would be like so like emotionally and spiritually like amazing. I mean, I think about kind of like, you know, the therapy ahas we have just us regular people as we're running together. Like what if you had, you know, Oprah or like Brene Brown or somebody like that to run with, you know, it would just be. uh, Totally. I want to go on that run. Yeah. yeah, and can we add Michelle yeah. Obama to that one as well? Yeah. I mean, if we're going for everything. <laughs> and then Ellen Ellen DeGeneres for a little comic relief in there. I think that's like yes. the dream dream run. <laughs> I mean, dream. we'd all come out as like this amazing, you know, next level like person at the end of that thing. It would be just amazing. Absolutely. Cool. I'm in. Uh, where's your dream run destination if you have one? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, um, well, I'm really into like running in the woods right now. Like the trail running stuff is really nice. I have found um, such solace in nature, like just outdoors, hearing water running, um, trees and shade. I really, I'm really enjoying all of that. Um, well, Ruth, you're living in the, the best spot up there in Colorado. I mean, awesome stuff going on right there. Um, so I think just, you know, being out in the woods somewhere nature, nature wise would be awesome. And then also Genfire, you have done the seven or however many world majors there are. I mean, that is super amazing. You have seen some amazing locations and locales, storied storied runs and I think those are phenomenal too I think uh, if uh, uh, if I were to ever run a marathon again I might have to like pick something <laughs> it would be a run walk it would not be anything anything you know super hard but um yeah I love that it sounds good well I think you answered yeah my question about which one so well Jen's marathon so I'll let Jen go next <laughs> I love it I, I love prime time is in her throw period right now but she she might come back out of the woods uh, to do world major so that's that's pretty inspirational um so now that we're a couple weeks into the she squad program before before we let you go you've given some great advice today um, but knowing our range of you know people just getting started, and, you know, all the way to very experienced runners, are there any last words of wisdom that you want to leave the She Squad with? Yeah, I would just say, um, listen to your body. Like, be really attuned to, and which is why I think this book is going to be amazing, because it's going to give us another level of being able to listen to our body. But really listen to your body. Um, 
some things that work for other people may not work for you. Um, just where you are at the time right now. And that's okay. You know, and if, if today was supposed to be a hard run, but you are like, I need a rest day, take the rest day. You know what I mean? Like you like keep the bigger picture in mind. Um, you know, the nice thing about these training programs is there's, there is room to sort of move your way through it. Um, and based upon what's going on in your life, you know, definitely you want to kind of try to keep up with sort of, you know, general mileage and things like that, but don't get so hung up on having to specifically nail every scheduled workout when it's done. Like if, if you want running to be part of your life as a lifestyle, you have to keep the bigger picture in mind, you know? You wanna you wanna make it um, a positive uh, experience that moves you forward, physically, emotionally, socially. You know all of those things, and that's what that's really where the joy in running comes from. You know, it's when all of those things align together, and when you keep that big picture in mind, and then the, all those things kind of come align together. The whole like notion of a runner's high that thing is like real, and it's amazing. And, um, you know, it's kind of just to sort of strive towards the holistic view of, of running, running as part of your life, running as part of your lifestyle uh, and not just, okay, I'm doing this next thing for the eight weeks and ugh, I'm going to white knuckle it to get done. You know, that's, you're not going to get as much out of it as you could. And, you know, if you're going to take time doing the work, might as well get the maximum benefit out of everything. So you know, just enjoy the process, listen to your body, um, and have fun and just have a good time. Great advice. Um, Ruth, anything that you want to add before we wrap up today? Um, not really just wanting to thank Dion for joining us. I mean, I, I knew that you, well, you've always been inspirational to me for a lot of reasons. Um, and so um, I, I just, I'm even more in awe and I've learned some stuff that I'm going, as I've said, that I think I'm going to do. I'm excited to get involved with CASA again and continue, um, I don't know, to kind of live the Dion way. So I'm, I'm super psyched <laughs> after this. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know, though, if you guys have questions for Dion, she's in our group. Um, you can post them to the She's squad Facebook group. Um, and then she'll also be, I'm sure on many of our zoom happy hours, Thursdays at 6 PM. And so, um, you know, listen for her perspective because I think she's got a great perspective on, um, just on life. So, uh, we want to thank you very much for being here and, uh, um, being a part of our inspiration. Um, you're an amazing woman. And so I'm so happy you're a part of my life. Thank I, you. I, I cannot agree more. Like, um, it's it's one of the things I'm grateful for Rogue bringing to me is you know this circle of friends and this community that you mentioned earlier. You are a key part of that. Ruth is obviously a key part of that. Um, and I think for our she squad, if if we learned anything from prime time this week, is that there is always time to squeeze in something that you want if if it's important to you that you'll make time for it. So let's go She Squad. So there you go. Jen and Ruth talking with Dion Schaffner. That reference to She Squad refers to the group, the podcast-based virtual group 
that Ruth and Jen coached through our rogue community. It's a women's only group. And last year they were training for a half marathon. That group will be reopening and restarting in January. So if you're interested in joining that group, stay tuned for details coming on how you can join that great community of women. So with that, we'll sign off on this one. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.